Welcome to Crisis Leadership, Coronavirus Edition, an original series and public service from Diversion Podcasts. Over five episodes, one of the world's leading crisis management experts, Dr. Charles Castor, takes what he has learned throughout his career and applies it to the coronavirus COVID-19 pandemic, preparing you to overcome the unprecedented hurdles of today and tomorrow. Crisis Leadership Coronavirus Edition is for leaders, for mentors, and for anyone who wants a peek behind the curtain at how our governments and large organizations handle or mishandle major crises. This is Episode 5, Leadership in the Extreme. I'm Dr. Charles Casto, safety consultant and researcher on extreme crisis leadership. This podcast mini-series discusses the commonalities in extreme crisis leadership between the Fukushima nuclear meltdowns and the coronavirus meltdown. In this podcast, I want to put the stages of an extreme crisis in context. From my research, I have found that there are six stages of crises. These stages are on a continuum from the least severe to the most. A given crisis can enter the continuum at any stage and might remain in that stage or migrate to other stages. We as leaders work to keep each crisis at the lowest level on the continuum. Research shows that the leadership's ability in an extreme crisis is second only to the cause of the extreme crisis in determining the success. In my research, the first stage is what I call a routine crisis. A routine crisis is a crisis such as a house fire, traffic accident. It's not really an extreme crisis. It's something we're very familiar with and we respond very easily and we know how to do it. The next stage is a resilience crisis. It too is not really extreme. It just means an event that we prepare for that's bigger than a routine crisis. For instance, a large building fire, an earthquake, In these crises, we have reserve capability somewhere, a response system that comes in and deals with that specific accident. So that's what I call a resilience crisis. The third stage is a surprise crisis. In a surprise crisis, leaders are faced with new and challenging conditions. And they're pretty optimistic. They think, well, we've never planned for this, but we can deal with it. We can bring in extra resources. We can bring in the National Guard. A surprise event is an unimaginable event. It's a failure of imagination. For instance, the 9-11 tax started out as a surprise event. We never planned for that to happen. As tragic as it was, that crisis stayed in the crisis stage of surprise. In 9-11, despite the many challenges, our emergency response system didn't fail. We did respond and we were successful in the response. So it stayed as a surprise, but it didn't reach failure. So the next stage, the fourth stage, is the failure stage. That's where your emergency management system fails. Katrina was a failure event. It wasn't a surprise event. We knew that this could happen, but we didn't prepare enough. Our resilience failed. So it started as a failure stage event. For Corona, we've transcended into the failure stage and we're approaching the next two stages, which are extreme crises. Stage five is what I call catastrophic stage. 
This stage is notable in that the conditions degrade too far and our ability to lead begins to crumble. Leaders begin even to worry about their own mortality. Recently, we've seen that legislature and other high government officials in multiple countries are infected. There becomes a concern for the health of the legislature, the president, and the vice president, similarly at the state level. Worry about mortality invades the thinking of our leaders. We even have senators who are thinking of coming to the floor in a hazmat suit. At this stage, the emotion of death anxiety becomes significant. And this emotional effect biases the decision-making process of the leaders. When you have death anxiety, your cognitive abilities narrow. That is why you need a unified command. You have to have a unified command, which I've talked about in earlier podcast, to offset the fact that a given leader's cognitive ability may be focused on the fight or flight instinct, their own intuition, concern for their own well-being. And if conditions worsen, the crisis moves on to stage six. Stage six is what I call super catastrophic. This is a stage where you as a leader actually believe you're going to die in this event. We saw that at Fukushima. Fukushima was clearly a super catastrophic event, especially since there were two people who drowned in the buildings. That caused concern for the other people. Felt emotions dominate this stage, the fight or flight emotion. Normally, the super catastrophic stage is researched in the military domain, not in the civilian domain. In the civilian domain, really nobody goes to work thinking that I might die at work today because of a crisis or because my leaders failed to properly manage a crisis. That thought may be subconscious, but it's not at the forefront of your mind. So it's subliminal. The word superliminal means that those emotions come to the forefront of your mind. What we're talking about is whether death anxiety and mortality become superliminal. In other words, as a leader, my primary emotion is my mortality. That emotion changes how you lead. It changes how you make decisions. It changes your ability to make sense of the situation. The difference between the failure stage, the catastrophic stage, and the super catastrophic stage involves leadership's ability to guide the response. In the worst stages or the extreme stages, the leadership tends to shift to a tactical mindset not the strategic. The felt emotions begin to interfere with their decision-making abilities and their cognitive skills begin to narrow. Thus, a unified command will have greater cognitive skills. At Fukushima, one of the greatest lessons learned was that the leaders were overwhelmed with their felt emotions. They were overwhelmed with the conditions on the ground. Can't blame them. Buildings were exploding. They didn't know what the radiation levels were. They didn't even know about their own family. They knew a couple of people had died in the building. And they were overwhelmed with the scale of the crisis. It was unfathomable. It was a surprise event. It was a failure event. It was a catastrophic event. And it was a super catastrophic event. Especially after three buildings exploded. At that point, they were overwhelmed with their own emotions. One of the leaders just essentially gave up. He told the people to go play cards or meditate or do whatever they wanted to do. He had just given up. Fortunately, the other leaders, they put him in the room, let him get some rest. He'd been up for 36 hours. So that unified command stepped in to offset 
that leader who had lost his own perspective. Rightfully so, I would say. If you talk to military leaders about extreme crisis response strategies, they'll tell you that upon contact with the enemy, speed and violence of action are essential to kill the enemy. The same holds true for this enemy, coronavirus. To combat the virus, we must make the virus visible. We have to be able to see our enemy. We do that through testing. Then we must act quickly with a lot of energy. The Imperial College report talked about mitigation versus suppression. Mitigation, which means put some controls in, some lockdowns. Suppression means to totally eradicate the virus. And in the Imperial College report, they talk about your choices, and maybe Sophie's choice, kill people or kill the economy. At first, I think we were at least in mitigation And now I think there's some concern in late March, 2020, there's some concern about the economy. Sadly, looking at the numbers, we may already be too late for suppression to kill the virus. Just as in Fukushima, when the cascading series of disasters began, it was already too late. It was too late to imagine what could happen, too late to prepare, too late to respond. And all that was left was try to crisis manage as best as possible. We were many steps behind the enemy and we were trying to catch up. Actually, the fact that the result wasn't even worse than it was, was due to some extraordinary people, the operators at Fukushima, acting heroically. But that's the subject of another podcast entirely, where my book, Station Blackout, Inside the Fukushima Nuclear Disaster and Recovery, to put in a plug. In the coronavirus, our leadership is beginning to crawl. The unified command with FEMA in charge and the enactment of the Stafford and Defense Production Acts were significantly positive. I think that's walking. I would like to see more nonlinear thinking, better White House press conferences. This closes my mini-series on the commonalities of the two meltdowns. I hope that it helped you understand the leadership concepts in play for this current crisis. Thanks for listening. If you want to contact me, you can find me at chuckcasto.com. If, as I believe, facts and knowledge can be calming, I have hope that I have both informed you and calmed you. My condolences to all who are impacted by the virus. And I hope you remain safe and healthy throughout this perilous journey. Best wishes, and we will get through this together. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to Crisis Leadership, Coronavirus Edition, a Diversion Podcast's original series. Crisis Leadership was written and hosted by Dr. Charles Casto. Executive Producers, Scott Waxman and Mark Francis. Diversion brings real stories to life. Hear more engaging shows at diversionpodcasts.com. And if you're enjoying this show, check out this other great series from Diversion, the War Queens. Hi, I'm Emily Jordan. My dad writes military history, a history written by men about men. That is, until the day I asked him why he didn't write about women as war leaders. Emily, that's because nobody writes about wars from the perspective of women. Until now. 
Five years ago, my dad and I started looking into the stories of women who led their nations in wartime throughout history. These Queens of Swords have been winning wars for over 2,500 years, and they defeated some of the greatest male commanders in their day. As we look deeper into the rich history of women leading armies, Emily and I learned that each woman has a fascinating story to tell. Join us for fascinating true stories of powerful women waging war and teaching us lessons about power, politics, and inner strength.